In this episode, we're taking a deep dive on the career of one of our members, Philip Kelvin. Philip's career spans consulting operational roles through to being a CFO in a tech business and now founder of his own venture, Tranche. I'm Guy Hutchinson, regular host here at CFO Insights and one of the startup CFO group founders. As our regular listeners will know, we like to get under the hood, really understand the potential in CFO careers. In this episode, we'll capture insights from Philip's time wading into the deep end in his first startup and really understand why founders have moments where they lean away from some of the gritty details. Welcome to the podcast, Philip. Thank you very much for having me here, Guy. I'm great, great to be on the Startup CFO podcast. Well, we're always keen to have members on, uh, particularly when they've got really interesting career journeys. And, you know, we were chatting at the meetup three or four weeks back. And obviously, like you've had a very unique build up in your career to being CFO at Trussell. And then this very interesting founder journey looking to solve something that you had understood well as a CFO. So, so it'd be really interesting, Philip, just to hear a little bit about how your career has panned out and some of the key learnings. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, by way of a bit of an introduction, Philip, the co-founder and CEO at Tranche, um, what we do is we help um, SaaS and service providers give their customers flexible payment options so that they can close more annual plans and get paid up front. But their customers can also secure those annual discounts and pay on their terms. We call it pay with Tranche. We're entering into this new space of expense financing and, and we're really excited by what we're building here. But like you say, it's been a while to, to get to this point. And actually I started my career in a, in a very traditional space at probably one of the kind of the oldest banks uh, in London um, at a bank called Rothschild, which was a bit of a weird thing for me. I, I'd read history at university. I hadn't read finance, hadn't read economics. Um, and decided to make it into this world of, of finance because someone had told me about it and I knew very little about it. In fact, I spent a lot of time on investopedia.com trying to prepare for my, my internship interviews, my graduate job interviews, um, and then went into the, the, the wild, wild west of um, investment banking M&A in the, the, the kind of back end of the financial crisis. Yeah, amazing. And 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 um, how did investment banking kind of um, set you off on a CFO path? I think the honest truth, guys, that when I was back then, I, I had no idea that I'd ever become a CFO of a, you know an early stage startup um, at all. In fact, I think I was more scared by the fact that when I went into it, that there were some people there that had been there for forty years at the bank. And I thought, oh wow, you know, my first year as a graduate here, am I going to be here for forty years? Now, interestingly, I'm on my fourth job uh, and since then, um, so, so, so clearly clearly, I wasn't. But I think the one thing that banking does do, and it you know, had obviously a lot of stigma, first of all, it's not very glamorous. I would be up to the early hours of the morning doing PowerPoint slides, doing Excel, doing various things. There's very little glamour in financial institution M&A. Um, but what it did do is give me a really core skill set in a, in a very short amount of time to become, you know, both on financials, both on Excel, both on just the wide world of, of what we were doing. That meant that I had these building blocks that I still carry with me today. And that's not just the, uh, the Excel shortcuts. Yeah, fantastic. And then later on, you had a stint in consulting? Yeah, exactly. So um, I think for me, I don't know whether I was well-suited to just seeing, kind of doing the numbers, doing the slides, as opposed to working out how a company actually made money. And um, for me, my opportunity came when I, when, when I floated a company called Liquidity, it's actually in a payment space, so maybe I've come full circle. 
And we're working alongside a consulting firm who are uh, trying to you know, float in this business and there need to be some market sizing, some revenue, or, you know, how is this company going to grow? And what I realized quite quickly was actually, I really enjoyed learning how a company made money rather than just plugging the numbers into an Excel. And so that started off a journey into consulting, which added, I'd say, kind of another string to my bow of working out how do I solve difficult problems? Um, and I was fortunate enough to work with some very clever people at Bain um, to help me solve those problems and work across multiple different industries so that you, know, you, you apply these lessons learned between them. If you really think it through, I think management consultancy probably provides the most founders of any of the career verticals. And actually, even at Startup CFO, I think we have uh, maybe 50 to 100 members who were management consultants, a bit like yourself, Philip. So is it really about seeing lots of industries, being able to learn them quickly and structured learnings? Or are there other things that come from somewhere like Bain? I think it's probably quite a lot of the former, actually. I think, you know, whether you can transfer stuff over to the industries, potentially, but I, I think they kind of ingrain, each different consultant firm ingrains a different way of thinking and approaching problems. So I think it is just about solving problems. Your interviews to get into these places are all about solving business cases. Um, and I think you get quite good at that after a period of time. I think you also have to work incredibly hard and it instills a, you know, a very good work ethic um, in you as well. But... Um, I think fundamentally it's kind of saying, oh, here's a problem. I don't know all the facts. How do I get all the facts? And then how do I come up with, I think the phrase is kind of like the 80-20 answer. Mm, fascinating. And, th and, and then what, what was it about early stage tech that managed to lure you out of Bain and into um, a bigger but much more uncertain world? I think for me it's two things. One, maybe the same thing that I felt when I was at Rothschild of like, you, know, you, you look up and you know you always look up who's more senior than you what, what have they done and you see these people that have been what we, you know, we used to call them lifers and you've got to make a decision do I want to be a lifer do I not and if I don't at what point is a good point for me to to leave and move on and try something um, and then I think the second thing is you know you work with very traditional companies who can afford your fees um, and you know we realize quite well, I realized after a while that you know, there's lots of things happening in the, in the in the tech world in London, definitely later than you know we'd see it in the US, but lots happening. And I think the thing that I always tell people is that my last client um, at Bain was ITV. And I remember going to their office and every day I'd be going to their office, be helping them with their strategy. Um, and the strategy question was, how do we become as big as Netflix or how do we beat Netflix? Yeah, there I was as a kind of consultant at Bain, going to their office every day and on the tube watching netflix on my phone and there's a bit of a disconnect um, mm. i wasn't watching itv i was watching netflix so my thought process was well, well shouldn't i be trying to work for one of these disruptors um, i don't know whether netflix was still a disruptor at that point but how, how do i work for one of these disruptors and that's when i started looking to say well what, what are the startup opportunities for me that um, will take a consultant with no real business experience and when you started with trussell you were starting in a an ops role or a strategy role rather than a pure financial role? Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of came in as this kind of head of ops um, of, you know, we were probably about 30, 40 people at that time. I remember, and I'm still very good friends with him, my, my boss, the guy, that, the guy that hired me, he hired me and he said, by the way, I'm getting married next week. I'm going to be off for three weeks. Good luck. Um, and this was the kind of VP of sales and operations. I was like, what? You know, I was a 
20 something uh, consultant, uh, you know, with my kind of backpack and my consulting outfit. And suddenly there I had a sales team of sales and ops team of, you know, about 20. And it was like, ah, what, what do I actually do? But it's those kind of experiences. Um, and then obviously I kind of changed roles. The company eventually got to around 200 people. Um, and I ended up becoming the CFO just, just before the pandemic started, um, which is an experience in itself. But it's those kind of experiences and exposures where you're really put in the detail that separates it from more advisory roles where, you know, the client, whether ITV did well or not, well or not was probably not going to be down to me. Mm, absolutely. And that point you make about spending time in the deep end, I think that's a great theme. I mean, when I interview, I often try to explore whether people have spent time in what 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 feels like a dangerous kind of position, but can explain how they've dealt with it well. And I think at some point, probably at Startup CFO, we will, we will have a course on that, how to really deal with those kinds of situations, which are very common, particularly for the heads of finance, in fact. Uh, and um, it's a great, it's a great sort of... Um, founding story in a great way just to kind of like find find your leadership style almost yeah and you know i think then when i moved more into the finance role which is basically because i had fundraising experience um that was the main one and actually it kind of came full circle i did a lot of this stuff um when i was at rothschild and it kind of came around and the company needed someone the board needed someone to help them with the fundraising and then kind of the opportunity opened up with a bit of a change of leadership that meant that i came to cfo role then the pandemic happened and i remember sending everyone home saying make sure you take your laptop charges home still remember this <laughs> just this week just just in case boris said something just make sure you take your laptop charges home and obviously that was the start of uh <laughs> that was the start of something, as that, as, as as we all know, and that week was a moment in history. You know, it was it was tough for us. We said so Trussell was a digital mortgage platform. We uh, the company eventually exited last year, but you know, April twenty twenty, the housing market shut because we weren't allowed out of our homes. So how were you meant to move? And at that point, obviously, we, we saw a massive housing boom after that um, with the stamp duty cut and various other things. But, you know, what, from the position that I was in advising the board in April 2020, we didn't know how long people were until people were able to leave their house, um, which is quite an important thing if you want to move house, um, that you can actually leave your current home. So um, that was stressful. Um, that's probably the deep end. That's probably the deepest in the deep the, end. The deepest you've I've, been. I, the deepest um, um, I've been. Yeah. And that and that probably at some level has helped set you up as what you are now as a founder of a tech business. Um, I think so. Um, in that in that sense, in that you know, keep going after the deep end. You know, the founder journey isn't an easy journey. I think you know we all see everything on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is becoming kind of the new, I, I don't know what it is, but it's definitely evolved over the last year. I personally use it a lot. I know you do as well, Guy. But it's very easy as a founder, especially as an early stage founder, to see someone's, you know, $20 trillion funding round and think, oh, why aren't I there? Or, you know, am I a failure because I haven't raised a hundred you know, billion round or et cetera? And it's, you've got to keep the focus. And so I think, you know, that's one of the key things as a founder. You've got to keep focus. How do you build? How do you overcome that adversity? How do you maintain resilience? And that was the same as a feeling as, you know, I was when I was kind of in front of the board and they all looked, you know, they're looking at you as a CFO for the answers. They're yeah. like, well, guys, I can't predict a pandemic. <laughs> they are um, hard to predict, let's be honest. Yeah, they are, they are really hard to predict. And all you can do is control the con controllables. And I know that sounds a very kind of, um, kind of blasé thing to do, but 
the thing that I, I, it's coming up, has been coming up for me this week um, is Glastonbury this week. Um, when we're recording weekend, this, yeah. yeah, if we're allowed to uh, to say when we're recording this, Glastonbury this weekend. Then um, I haven't actually been to Glastonbury, but I felt the closest. I was with my uh, kind of head of legal, general counsel. The closest we got to kind of queuing for Glastonbury tickets was there was this flurry on the startup CFO, where we're all applying for the future fund in June 2020, and we were all in this queue. We had no idea where it was going to open. Everyone was, every kind of CFO around the country was sitting on their laptop on this government system saying, how do I get higher in the list? How do I get, you know, how do I, where am I in the list? Where am I in the queue? And I just remember this moment, this kind of sense of everyone coming on, even competitors who didn't want to know that they'd applied for the future fund being like, I'm 36th in the queue. I've got my application. What number are you? And it was kind of very much like a Glastonbury feeling uh, <laughs> I, uh, for tickets. I, I, yeah. I think, I think you are uh, looking for some of the Glasto sheen to rub off on CFOs. Uh, yeah. I think like, people queuing for Glasto tickets, they're not queuing for survival, which is probably what it felt like for the future. Yeah, party. I think that's what it did, yeah. <laughs> and Phil, um, when you think about how you've sort of set out your ambitions, like are there any things that you've done to help you reach the point that you've reached in your career now? Definitely. I, th I think that it's kind of a, a good thing and a bad thing sometimes setting these kind of goals. I, I remember when I first joined, I think, Trussell, um, I was like, I, I want to be a chief operating officer by 30. Not a Forbes 30 under 30, a chief operating officer by 30. And I have no idea why I said that to myself, if I'm being honest. Um, it wasn't that I um, hadn't just read Sheryl Sandberg's book at that point, read later, but you know, there wasn't a moment where I said, why? It was just setting something down that I wanted to, and I, th I think the reason behind that is I just wanted to have impact in an organization. And I think that's why I joined the startup community, because I realized you can have impact at a kind of younger stage in your career without having to wait 30 years to become a managing director of a bank or you know, 20 years to become a partner at a consulting company. So I think setting a goal was useful in order to, to set the direction of travel and also the pace of travel. But I think one thing that, that I, I would caution against is, is not to beat yourself up because what you realize is that life happens, a pandemic happens, things happen in your organization that you can't predict at all. And really it's about how do you take advantage of those opportunities when they come up as opposed to saying, well, actually, this was not part of my plan. Because mm. plans change. Um, I think it's, I can't remember what they say, you know, planning is an important thing, but as soon as it starts happening, plan, you know, it's irrelevant. Yeah, it's um, attributed uh, to one of the famous US generals, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it is now. It's like Eisenhower. Eisenhower, yeah. Eisenhower. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that feels like what, what you're saying is the most important thing is to have an ambitious goal. It kind of didn't really matter about the 30-ish. It just was necessary. It wasn't too far away. And the COO thing didn't really matter either. It was more that there was there was something that that, that spurred you on. And besides, you were going to react to the difficulties and opportunities that came. It sounds like at some level, you were probably building the idea for what became Tranche whilst, whilst you were CFO, because... You know, you, you you would have been focused on you know cash flow, and there's nothing like a pandemic to really make you focus on cash flow. The idea absolutely came from my time as as being CFO. For me, it's and I'm sure many people, hopefully listening to this, have the the, the same same concept. And I've, I've I've coined it. I call it the recurring one-offs, which is a bit of an oxymoron. But for me, I felt that you know, as a business that was trying to conserve cash but grow our top line. 
we had what we call these recurring one-offs. And that's just everything you have as a scaling business. You need the latest tech stack for your sales team, um, the latest tech stack for your, um, you know, your engineering team, more AWS capacity. You need a compliance test, a penetration test, et cetera. All of these, the, these things that, that come through and this recurring one-offs and how you pay for them effectively and pay for them on your terms, that kind of, kind of really kind of drove our idea for, for Triumph and what we led to set up last year. So I, I, I love it because having been in the CFO seat myself, I know that commercially, when you're working with sales guys and you've got um, some licenses that could be paid for upfront and some licenses that might be paid monthly, it's very easy commercially to end up offering the customer 15% better broadly and maybe a bigger incentive for the sales guy as well, right? And so essentially, like the, the incentive effect on some of these license constructions is way more costly for the vendor than the interest cost would be for the buyer. And it's just an amazing disparity that you've identified and are finding a smart way to go and solve that. Yeah, that's the journey we're on. And we've already got quite a lot of partners on board right now who are starting off this pay with charge option to their customers. And people can also come direct. You know, we can't get every single partner on, um, on, on our platform, you know, the next, you know, in a short amount of time, just because there is so much proliferation of kind of SaaS and services right now. And um, so it's, it's been really great to see some of the startup CFO members come directly onto our platform. And, you know, it helps us discover actually what do they want to pay with charge as well. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm really pleased that um, some of the members are finding it helpful. But, you know, what we should dive deeper into is this interesting transition, which is you were a CFO and now you're a founder. And we have I think be 10 or 20 members of the 900 odd who are now founders. And obviously we keep those people in, which is great. Uh, and one of the questions that often come up when we meet them socially, which is like, what what things did you learn as as a CFO that really helped you succeed as a founder? And actually, also, like, are there on the other side of the coins difficult things that that that, that you got used to, used to doing as CFO that as you transition into the CEO leadership role are actually quite challenging because of your financial background? Yeah, absolutely. And I've been trying to think of the best answer to these questions. They're not easy. I think the thing that you learn the most is around how different organizations actually work together. It's a bit of a consulting role in a way. When you think about it from a CFO, you've got your finance, you've got your key finance, but actually what your job is in an organization within kind of an executive committee is to be able to bring together the various parts of the organization, the various, you know, whether it's the cost side, you know, your compliance, your legal, you know, whatever your operation side, all the way to the sales side, the revenue. And you're the person that brings it all together and talks about it through numbers. And you say, okay, if we do this, this happens. How do you make everyone understand your funnel? How do you make everyone understand your data? And I think what I realized the most is that an organization is, is most bought into to their company if they understand what's happening. And if things, and in order to understand what's happening, be able to understand numbers are, is really important. And I think what I try to bring in when I was a CFO is a real transparency around what we're doing, around uh, you know, what is our cash burn? How much money did we make last month? Um, what, what are our unit economics? What do unit economics even mean? You know, I've done presentations of presentations to every new member of the staff to say, this is what unit economics mean. And you can do it in the simplest way. It's not, it's not difficult as a concept. But I think having that understanding about how your business actually works and explaining that to your team members is, is, a, is, a, is a, something that every company should do. And sometimes I think it used to be that a CEO would kind of have all of this in their head and they'd be kind of bearing this all and they just needed everyone to do their jobs. 
actually, I think for a company to work really well, you need everyone to understand the why and then know how they can influence the how. And I think a great CFO does that in every organization because they've got everything at their fingertips. Yeah. So that's really a test of how well the CFO can understand the business logic and then communicate that in a manner where the whole business can feel aligned behind their objectives. Exactly. And 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 like reflecting on the things that are hard as part of that change between roles, like 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 are there things that have struck you this, since you've been leading Tranche? I think one of the things that I've felt is around with finance because you see so much of the numbers and because you're always trying to avoid the kind of a bad outcome i.e. oh we've run out of money and you're constantly looking at those kind of things um it can be harder to think you know more glass half full and i think as a ceo and family you've got to inspire everyone around you not say oh well, the numbers are here or the numbers are there you've actually got to take that not just take the numbers but still actually lead the team forward and sometimes as a in finance you know too much um, and you're not able to kind of take a step back and say, actually, you know what, guys, we're making great progress here and we really need to keep up this momentum um, because this is what we're doing. This is why. As opposed to saying, oh, I'm really annoyed that we spent £500 on this last month or thinking about you can get so detail orientated that sometimes you need to be able to take a step back and say, OK, well, what are we trying to do here? What is that actually that long-term vision? How do I tell investors what that long-term vision is? How do I tell our company what that long-term vision is? How do I really communicate that and make sure I don't get stuck in the weeds? Because mm. I think in finance, we love the detail because you know, there's so much to get done, so much detail, but actually you need to be able to take a step back from that. And that's probably our phrase here at Tranche whenever we're in a meeting. It's like, let's take a step back. That's almost saying that to be the kind of the spiritual leader, the, the, the one who can really lead people forward with passion and belief, you almost need to disregard some of the facts that you would have been drawn towards as a CFO. Exactly. And I think sometimes that's tough because you say, well, okay, we have X months to prove this because, you know, we're a new company and we're not profitable yet. So, you know, you have to take yourself away from that detail and move yourself to saying, you know, we can make this a huge company. And I think part of that is a British versus uh, American thing as well. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it, it's incredible from my standpoint that a lot of what you've described is essentially connected to can investors have a really big exit in the end and therefore accommodate a certain number of failures actually quite a lot of failures frankly um and down to learnings so that that's a founder that had a business for x many years didn't succeed great learnings rather than bad founder uh and, and it's funny that it links to the like can you have these big wins because i mean we now for the second year run our ipo readiness course and find that there's quite a lot of interest in that and it's always challenging when the markets are down as they are now but actually like now's the time to go and explore are you the cfo who could list a business because ultimately that that fuels the whole ecosystem that mm. founders believe you can reach the scale where that would be viable and CFOs believe that they could be the person that could do that, make that happen, and lead a PLC. And it's, it's not just the exits as well. It's also, I think there's a lot of people writing about secondaries as well for employees. It's not just about founders here. And I think, you know, you're at a risk of losing talent unless you prove that secondaries can happen in the UK market as well. Because, you know, we compensate people both on salary and also on equity. And there's no... You know, there's no point in selling someone an equity if there's there's no chance of a secondary or, or, or an exit. 
Um, so I think it's really important that, you know, as the ecosystem matures, that we, we have those successes and we should celebrate everyone's successes, even if it means reading on LinkedIn someone else's success, because it fuels the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's actually how we see our startup CFO. I think when we were a pub meetup group five or six years ago, uh, it was just a way to hang out with your peer group. And actually, when uh, myself, David Prakash and Lamro were talking about what the potential of it could be, it was the moment that we were like, well, this is supporting an ecosystem, a really important ecosystem. At that point, it was very clear that there was something big that, that, that we could achieve and uh, really helped us achieve the the kind of scale that we have now and the fact that we're seeing really good growth in markets like Spain and Germany. Yeah, absolutely. I can, couldn't agree more with that. Yeah. And of course, great fun to run and great fun to be a part of. Philip, um, it's been really good to hear about uh, all of these key learnings that you've had in your career. And uh, I mean, really, it sounds like Tranche is doing incredibly well and helping to solve the kinds of issues that CFOs know really well. So um, thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Guy. I remember when I was probably in the first kind of 100 or so members, and it's great to see you got to 900 now. And so I'm sure you'll be celebrating the big big 1,000 when you get there. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's many weeks away, actually. But by the time that we um, release the podcast, I suspect we'll be there. But look, it's been great to have you on. Uh, and yeah, looking forward to seeing you at one of our future events, Bill, no doubt. Thank you for listening to the Startup CFO podcast, CFO Insights. If what you've heard has piqued your interest, then you might find that you want to check out our website, startupcfo.tech. You can read all about our free membership for finance professionals in disruptive tech businesses and also check out some of our paid offerings covering the coaching for CFOs and also Exit Masterclass.